welcome to another episode of the Closet and Pocket Podcast, where I cover everything you can wear on you and carry with you. My name is David, and I want to thank you so much for joining me here on this 14th episode of the show. Now, before we jump into today's topic, uh, as usual, I'd like to share a few quick promotional notes with you. The first one is that I have written a book. Uh, I did so in the hiatus between seasons one and two of the show, and, and I wrote the book on how to start a podcast. But the angle I took was how to start a quality podcast for very little money. So if you two are looking to start a show, uh, but you're worried about potential upfront starting costs in terms of software or equipment, don't worry, I've outlined all of it for you. And if you follow the link in the show notes, you'll be taken directly to the Amazon uh, Kindle page where you can get the book as soon as you buy it since it's an instant download. The second link is going to be to Fiverr. Now Fiverr is a huge productivity tool that I use. Uh, It's really great to be able to access so many high quality professionals for very reasonable amounts of money. So the work is great, the turnaround times are fast, uh, and just generally it's a great way for you to up your productivity because you can outsource the things that aren't uh, in your core competency, to to use a a fancy management term. So if you're interested in uh, using Fiverr and you've never used it before, uh, if you follow the link in the show notes as a first time buyer, even though Fiverr is not an official sponsor of my show, if you are a first-time buyer and you follow that link, I will get a contribution. So thank you very much in advance for that. The final service I want to uh, point out is TransferWise. Now, TransferWise is relatively specific in what it does. Uh, it allows you to make very quick, uh, very low-cost um, currency exchanges. So if, like me, you need to have access to different currencies for any number of reasons, uh, this is far better than using traditional banks. Uh, that's to say it doesn't take weeks. There's not a lot of paperwork. You don't get charged large amounts over the actual interest rate. Everything is very quick and transparent. And the reason I'm so enthusiastic about the service is because I am an ardent and regular user of TransferWise. It's been great. It made all the difference in some of my own projects that required different currencies. Uh, And again, even though TransferWise is not an official sponsor of the show, uh, it is something I believe in very strongly. And if you do use the service and you do make a certain transfer, uh, I may get a uh, a portion in return from TransferWise for signing up another customer. So again, uh, I want to thank you uh, for utilizing this service in advance and supporting the show. Uh, But I also want to assure you that uh, this is a great service and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's get right into today's episode, which I've called Things I Can't Wear But Wish I Could. Let's get into it. The worlds of menswear, everyday carry, which I'll just call EDC from now on, and watches are vast. Now this could be viewed as overwhelming for anyone trying to get into uh, one or all of these categories, but honestly I think it's great because it means that with some research and experimentation, you're bound to find things that make you look and feel your best. And speaking for myself, that's certainly been the case, and I count myself lucky that uh, I now have the time and the means to continue my exploration even now, uh, at a time when I feel very good about my tastes and preferences. And yet there's still some things that I just cannot bring myself to try. Now some of those uh, are just off the bat, I know I'll never get behind. Like chunky dad sneakers, that will never be my thing. But then there are others, and those are the things I'm going to cover in the show, that for some reason or another, and usually it's multiple reasons, uh, I just cannot uh, see myself trying, even though part of me really wants to, uh, to give them a go. Now, I'm nearing 36, uh, which if you take a step back, uh, you can tell yourself very simply that that means I'm fast approaching 40. So for sure, age, or at least my perceptions of how I'm supposed to be because of age, play a part in my hesitation to dive headfirst into one thing or another. But that's not the only factor. 
Since starting the podcast towards the end of last year, uh, I have had a chance to do research on various aspects of a lot of different topics, and I've been taking notes on all of these moments. The ones where I find myself, myself saying, yeah, that'd be great, but... And now I'm at a point where I've got enough to put together a fun and compelling discussion for this episode. Now in the show, I'm going to cover quite a lot of ground, and while I think that you may find some of these unsurprising, others definitely might catch you off guard. And there are others that you may disagree with completely. Now if that's the case, and actually especially if that's the case, uh, or if there are items uh, that you think I should have included, please do drop me a line using the contact information in the show notes. I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, and what your inputs uh, would have been uh, for the list on the show. All right, let's get right to the first item. first thing that I would love to wear but just cannot bring myself to are sneakers. Yeah, now I know I'm starting off strongly here because uh, this is one thing that is probably um, the most universally accepted item of clothing that there is. You're probably thinking that the fact that I said I would love to wear sneakers but cannot bring myself to is complete bullshit because who doesn't wear sneakers, right? Okay. A few points of clarification before I defend my position. One is that, of course, I'm talking about wearing sneakers as part of an outfit as opposed to the gym or otherwise doing some kind of athletic activity. Also, the second point is that I'm excluding the classics such as uh, Chuck Taylors and PF Flyers. Even though these aren't my first choice when it comes to footwear for my outfits, they definitely have a place. Really, what I'm talking about here are modern sneakers, those now associated with the modern streetwear movement where some uh, go on to fetch crazy sums on the resale market. But even the colorways that don't, I'm really talking about the general shape uh, of these shoes. To be clear, I'm interested in the market for sneakers, so I definitely keep up with the most significant models. And also, some models do look beautiful or at least interesting, but I just cannot bring myself uh, to turn that interest into a purchase and then eventually a spot in my clothing rotation. And I'm not talking about the more out there shoes either. I'm talking about things like uh, Jordan 1s. They look really cool. I just cannot bring myself to wear them. And I think that, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, uh, age certainly plays a factor here. When I was much younger, uh, going back to middle school, I pined after the latest Nikes. And I've covered this in, uh, in previous episodes of the show. Uh, but this really was everything that I wanted at any given time. I wanted whatever the hottest basketball shoes were in 95, 96, 97. And it's possible that because I love them going so far back that I feel self-conscious about sneakers, sneakers now because this is an interest that I strongly associate with my youth. I think that's only part of it, though, because whenever I see the streetwear kids on Instagram wearing sneakers, on the occasion that I think that the outfit uh, looks okay, because this is not all the time, I immediately think, yeah, that does look cool, but that's just not me. You know, in pretty much any situation that isn't formal, I'll just reach for my L.L. Bean uh, Blue Shermocks, which I know are the complete opposite of cool. But in today's uh, trend of chunky sneakers and, and very modern looking sneakers, uh, as well as something like Dadcore, surely I get points for effort, right? Because I mean, these are still very clean, very classic shoes. Speaking of dads, while I have no children of my own, I know that I'm getting older because value and practicality drive a large part of my purchase decisions now. And if I'm being uh, very blunt about this, sneakers present neither, in my opinion. And 
yeah, I know there is a healthy resale market, but let's be honest, you're taking a gamble every time you place a bet on a shoe gaining in value. And even where it's a given that these are going to increase in value, like the off-white Jordans, for example, uh, you're still playing the lottery game as to whether you can actually get a pair. So I'm talking about actually wearing sneakers as part of my outfits. And there's just no value and practicality there. The, the hyped shoes are almost guaranteed to be not hype at some point. So Balenciaga, Balenciaga Triple S's, for example, those seem to be on the way out, as does the dad uh, sneaker trend. So even if you bought a hot shoe to wear it, at some point, uh, you'll have spent a lot of money for something that's quite fleeting. Also, my view is that these sneakers just don't get better with age. They, they look dirty. And yes, you can clean them, but it's not the same. At some point, there will be degradation. And in fact, even if you store them well, they just degrade naturally over time. In fact, I had a pair of New Balance 994s recently. They'd been sitting in my closet, so very well cared for since college. So this is going on 14 years now. Uh, and they looked great, but I chose to wear them just once out of the blue. They looked great until the sole started to disintegrate. And that was being stored, I think, in the best possible condition. So they go out of style quickly. They break down. And uh, I just think the value and practicality is, is not there. And with some of the more interest, interesting sneakers costing well upwards of $100 a pair, and this is just out of the store, I just cannot justify the cost when I could put that money towards something much more durable. On that note, the topic of sustainability does come up. Sneakers are disposable and fashionable, which usually adds up to detrimental to the environment. Now I know some of that can be fixed to an extent, uh, but going back to my, my blue shirts, I can wear one pair every day for literally years before I have to think of switching them out. And even then it's possible to resole them. All that said, I'm not arguing that sneakers aren't quote worth it because the market currently clearly says they are. There are very large sums of money being traded uh, for some of these sneakers on marketplaces like StockX or Grailed. But for the variety of reasons that I've uh, just listed, I can't wear them because even though I will certainly continue to follow the popular releases just out of general interest, I have, I've not been able to convert that interest in the market and the appreciation for the design on these shoes because I do find some of them attractive. I have just never been able to convert that outside interest into a desire to purchase them and, uh, and make them part of my outfits. I know I'm disappointing my younger self with that last item because now that I've finally got enough money to buy all the shoes I wanted 20 years ago, I have little interest in doing so, or at least I feel self-conscious that if I did, I wouldn't be able to pull them off as part of an outfit. Now, the reasons that I listed for not being uh, able to turn my interest in shoes into an actual purchase, I think are similar to the next item on the list. And really it's a collection of items because here I'm talking about the family of products uh, which have big logos on clothes. So let me explain. I've spoken before about my previous uh, love for big logos as a, an explicit design motif, uh, particularly with respect to the Tommy Hilfiger brand. And you can check out uh, the first episode of this season if you're interested in hearing more about that. That was going back a ways. We're talking mid-90s. But the truth is, I don't even have to go back that far uh, since even at the beginning of, let's say, up to the 2010s, maybe late aughts, uh, I wouldn't have minded wearing an American Eagle uh, or Abercrombie & Fitch logo prominently on myself. I've grown out of that. That's not me. 
But at the same time, and this is why this is uh, turning up on this list, is that there are certain things that actually look pretty cool and I wouldn't mind giving them a shot. I think part of that just comes from my perception based off of uh, Instagram. So I'm by no means a hype beast, but at the same time, just seeing these pictures over and over on my feed does lead me to think that, yeah, it would be kind of cool to see what a Supreme box logo hoodie feels like, uh, especially given that now I do have a little bit of money that I can spend on things like that. But even setting that extremely hyped brand aside, so the example of Supreme, uh, Filson, for instance, which is a brand that I love, just released a actually pretty cool looking Popeye collaboration. And I know you're probably thinking, what the heck is that? Filson times Popeye, but it looks really great. But uh, there is quite a bit of prominent Filson branding in that, uh, in the same way that there's prominent branding in uh, Todd Snyder uh, and Champion and the Peanuts. So Todd Snyder and Champion, that is a ongoing collaboration that I love. Uh, the Peanuts graphics are a lot of fun. I just cannot bring myself to wear the collaboration because uh, it just, because of the logos. I like the idea. I just cannot do it because I've got this hang up about um, logos on clothing. Now, in the case of something like Supreme, I will say that, honestly, it's probably just age. Um, I just, it would feel weird as a 30, nearly 36-year-old wearing Supreme. But for the rest, uh, my inner dad definitely comes out again. So even though I don't wear logos, I love to try the logos. But then in a circular manner, uh, the logos are what's causing me not to want to wear them. Very confusing, but I think I can uh, explain more about why this is something that I still cannot bring myself to try despite interest in it. Now, while the younger me would have been more than happy to broadcast uh, my clothing choices, I go in totally the opposite direction now. I don't want people making assumptions based on me wearing this or that brand. Uh, also, I prefer to have each piece be more of a blank canvas, uh, which makes pairing things much, much easier. So it's much simpler to pair jeans with a sweater with a t-shirt if you're not having to match logos or if everything has a, a logo on it and you just uh, end up with a billboard. I mean, that's the, the very logical conclusion uh, and it's the desired conclusion actually in this era of uh, streetwear, but it's not something I'm actively um, trying to go for. And while we're being honest, uh, I would say that the only logo I think I'm okay with, well, I am okay with it, is uh, Ralph Lauren. I think in an office environment, the small Ralph Lauren logo is actually really classy. Uh, but beyond that, I keep everything very low-key and no logos on my clothes. Also, if you go back to price, uh, I'm definitely in the minority regarding my uh, preferences for more um, subdued items because the big logo items, and here we go back to Todd Snyder, Champion, and Peanuts, uh, but the logoed items are usually more expensive than their subdued equivalents. So given the choice between buying something with a big logo, even if I happen to like the item a lot, and getting multiple pieces which are far more versatile, uh, I'll take the latter option basically every time. So as much as I like the idea of being able to wear Snoopy uh, on, a, on a, a crew neck, I think it'd be a lot of fun. It's likely going to be uh, Todd Snyder's more staple pieces for me in the future. So let's now turn our attention away from clothes towards EDC, where I'll cover the next item I like the idea of carrying, but just can't find enough reasons to. And that's full-sized dedicated pocket knives. I love gear. And while I obviously can't afford everything that's out there, um, 
or even everything I'm interested in, frankly, that doesn't stop me from checking out and following what's new, uh, just out of interest. So same deal as with sneakers. Pocket knives in general occupy that space for me. Uh, that is to say that I don't carry them, but I'm interested in following them. And I like the idea of having one, but just cannot bring myself to do so. And that's what we'll get into right now. Pocket knives will have a specific caveat in my mind. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you may know that I'm very skeptical about the knife community's approach uh, and view of knives. If you listen to someone who really loves pocket knives, they'll tell you that yes, uh, laws permitting, you definitely should carry a knife with you every day because it will be the most useful thing on you and you'll use it five times a day. I have called BS on this before and I will continue to do so. And keep in mind that I'm deeply into mechanical watches and that's a community that fetishizes uh, practicality when in reality, uh, a quartz G-Shock is a much more accurate and durable timekeeper. With knives though, I just can't see how this would get used that much unless you're in some kind of manufacturing or uh, field setting. Uh, and that's as opposed to a mechanical watch where you can still check the time, and as in fact I do, as well as the dates uh, several times a day. This has prevented me from carrying uh, a dedicated pocket knife around um, since it helps keep one extra thing out of my pockets. But from a distance, I find these knives really fascinating. Uh, I have a mechanical engineering degree, so as little cutting machines, if we can keep going with the parallel to watches, which would be you know little timekeeping machines, literally, uh, a knife, and especially a well-made knife, uh, you know, with automatic uh, deployment um, or deployment, I should say, uh, you know, different steels, uh, different handle materials. These are really fascinating. They are little cutting machine, cutting machines. And uh, I take great interest. And more, more often than not, uh, when I'm done watching the latest YouTube watch videos, it's on to Knife Center, uh, Blade HQ, and Nick Shabazz. And I'll post the link to all of these in the show notes because I just think that the content on those channels is very interesting and very compelling. And to be clear, I do carry a Victorinox with me. And, and I've mentioned before how much I, I love these knives. Uh, and it's usually a mini champ all the time. And everyone who's been listening to the show knows that I love the brand. The difference here is that even though I just referred to it as a knife, the key difference is that while I'm aware they were originally designed around the knife, um, really I should say the blade generally, now I see them more as multi-tools that happen to have uh, a knife blade associated with them. Now the rest of society probably agrees because any Victorinox is basically non-threatening. And I, okay, any sort of small to medium-sized Victorinox is essentially non-threatening, uh, or at least uh, less threatening than even a medium to small dedicated pocket knife that, again, has that super cool tech, right? Like the blade shapes, the you know the tactical look, or whatever it is. I just think the Victorinox uh, is is less threatening. Now, this is a critical distinction because people have seen me use my Swiss Army knives at the office multiple times. And I've always just joked about me always being prepared or something to that effect. And I take that as a compliment, uh, actually. And though I'm perhaps uh, sort of reaching a little bit here, I believe that if I just whipped out a regular, uh, well, regular high-tech pocket knife to do something, I might be seen as a bit odd. Because the fact of the matter is that uh, no matter how much the knife community tries to convince itself, 
most people just don't have much use for them in their day-to-day, -day, at least to justify carrying just a blade around. Uh, so those who do can be viewed somewhat suspiciously. Suspiciously, rather. Again, that's not to say that I don't find them really, really interesting. I think it would be cool to have something so well-made and machined in my pocket. But due to the lack of practicality uh, and the lack of discretion relative to a Swiss Army knife, I just don't see a high-performance dedicated pocket knife becoming a part of my EDC anytime soon. finish the show with one last item that may seem out of left field, but that sits squarely in the everything, everything you can wear on you part of this show's tagline. I'm talking about cologne. I've talked uh, a bit about men's fragrances in the context of the show, but I've never dedicated a ton of time to it for a, a couple of reasons. First is that unlike any piece of gear, you can describe the notes of a fragrance to whatever level of detail you'd like you'll never accurately convey to someone what it smells like. And when it comes down to it, people just need to smell a fragrance for themselves and perhaps more importantly, need to wear it on themselves to understand how it reacts to them specifically. The second point is that uh, what quote smells good, right? Is going to vary tremendously depending on the person. Now granted, not everyone's going to like everything I talk about on the show. You know, some of you may not care for Swiss Army knives at all, for instance. But at least those are all tangible things from which we can all establish a common baseline of discussion. With fragrance, that may not be at all possible. Uh, so what I smell as tobacco, uh, you might take as dirt and find awful. So in other words, even if we both can smell something, we are going to perceive it differently. That said, I'm bringing cologne up here uh, because the context of the reason I can't bring myself to wear the fragrance I'm about to name, uh, even though I actually really want to, is probably understandable to most people in the audience. Okay, so enough setup. The fragrance I'm talking about is Legend by Mont Blanc. So why am I specifically bringing this up as a fragrance that I would love to wear but cannot? Well, taken in isolation, this actually has a lot going for it. Uh, it's by Mont Blanc, a brand that I have brought up before and of which I have uh, a very high opinion, actually, regardless of the product category I'm talking about. In this case, this would be fragrances. And also, this is actually a really pleasant scent uh, if I just take it as what it is, which is Mont Blanc Legend. Yeah, here's the problem, though. The trouble is this uh, men's fragrance cannot be considered in isolation because it smells almost like an exact copy. And in fact, it may even be an exact copy of the infamous Fierce by Abercrombie and Fitch. So for those of you who spent their teen years uh, in malls during the late 90s, or early 2000s, this may be the only scent that goes against everything I just said uh, about these fragrances being hard to describe. And by that, I mean that if you're around my age, you remember and know exactly what it smells like. On top of that, you probably associate it very strongly with your youth and Abercrombie & Fitch in general, which is a brand that you know, I personally think is currently doing some positive things, uh, but let's be honest, it's fallen well out of favor with the public uh, and certainly with uh, my peers who have long outgrown it. And it's a shame because I do like the smell and frankly, I'm not even talking about the Mont Blanc smell, I'm talking about Abercrombie & Fitch Fierce. This is something that I've never found terrible. I mean, it might've been overpowering in the stores, but I never found it to be uh, something that didn't smell good. And so it's always been a shame that um, I have been able to wear it. And in the case of the, the Mont Blanc version, uh, even though it's a clone, 
uh, it's not very helpful, right? So the fact that it comes in a Mont Blanc bottle from Mont Blanc does, I would say, class up the association a little bit, but that does absolutely nothing to change the fact that once the cologne is out of the bottle, it smells exactly like fierce. And that is what everyone around me will perceive um, before sort of then immediately making assumptions about a person my age wearing fierce from Abercrombie and Fitch. I will just close out this uh, section though and say that thankfully there is an associated flanker, which is called Mont Blanc Legend Spirit, uh, which I do like a lot. Uh, it has hints of the original while having enough of a twist that I don't think anyone would ever, would ever be able to associate the two. And in fact, I've got quite a growing uh, fragrance collection and out of all the ones that I wear, uh, my wife has told me repeatedly that that is her favorite. So if you also are like me, uh, you dislike Mont Blanc Legend, uh, go ahead and check out Mont Blanc Legend Spirit, and I will leave a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in checking it out. Great. Well, that is the show for today. I hope you enjoyed this list of things that I really want to wear uh, or at least try but cannot bring myself to. As I said at the beginning of the show, if you have any feedback on the list, if you have your own thoughts, you want to add anything, uh, please do drop me a line using the contact information for the show in the uh, in the show notes. And as always, I invite you to leave a review, good or bad, uh, in the associated comments section uh, of wherever you're listening to this. Or if you want to shoot me an email directly, uh, my email address is in the show notes. I want to thank you again for joining me here, and I look forward to welcoming you again on the next episode of the Closet and Pocket Podcast. Take care.